Hey everyone, before we begin the podcast, I wanted to let you know about another live play event the Roundtable is cooking up. Some Roundtable panelists and I are stress-testing high-level combat in the new edition of D&D, and this time we're throwing down with the Queen of Chromatics, Tiamat. That's right, the Tarask Takedown crew is reuniting to take on the evil goddess with all new adventurers in a battle DM'd by the best of the best, Mike Shea. We'll be live-streaming our battle on Tuesday, December 2nd at 8.30pm Eastern, and then releasing YouTube videos and a podcast later. You can get all the information at the Tome Show All right, let's start this podcast. Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about some previews from the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Let's meet our panel. With me today at the roundtable are Vegas Lancaster. Hi, internet. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Alex Basso. How's it going, friends? And Rudy Basso. Hi. Alright, guys. So we're going to kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, which is... Which D&D god from any pantheon would you start a cult or temple to? And let's start with you, Vegas Lancaster. Gotta be Loth. Turn me into that half spider, half woman thing. (laughs) That's my fetish. (laughs) Alex Basso, which D&D god would you start a cult slash temple to? Uh, I will choose Ball. Uh, I'm a little biased because of... My fond memories of the Baldur's Gate series, but uh, I like the idea of believing, after I, after I start my cult, believing that there's actually a chance I might be one of the ball spawn. And I like a god that had so much foresight, he decided to have as many kids as possible before his death that he saw coming. So <laughs> and, you know, if you're starting a cult, get something out of it. And you know, if you think you're going to be a ball spawn, you go on with that attitude. You'll get a bunch of followers and then you'll be ball one day and you know, when gotta stay win. positive. Everybody wins. <laughs> Everybody wins when you start a cult to the god of murder. Uh, Rudy Basso, which D&D god would you start a cult slash temple to? Unlike these guys who are apparently evil, I will choose Lalira, <laughs> the god of partying and good times. Because that is the temple I want to be hanging out in. <laughs> one filled with merriment. Moving on, let's talk about the Dungeon Master's Guide previews that have been quite recent. First, we'll start with poisons. Here we got the entire section on poisons from the DMG, thanks to Wizards. We will be posting all of our previews, of course, in the show notes, just like this one. And we got the full story here, sort of how they work, along with uh, detailed descriptions of several different types of poison. Also on these pages were the end of the diseases, uh, which we got to see cackle fever, sewer plague, and sight rot, and the very, very beginning of the madness section in the DMG. I have to say, my interest is piqued about those two sections as well. But what did you guys think of these pages? What really excited you? And was there anything that you were disappointed to see or to see left out? Vegas Lancaster, let's start with you. Uh, the poisons look cool. Uh, as someone who 
frequently plays drow characters and roguish types. Uh, I wanted to use poison uh, quite a bit in 4th edition, and it seemed like the rules uh, were heavily skewed against players using poison whatsoever, so I never really took the opportunity to. Uh, and uh, I, I could be wrong, but, but so far it looks like it, it may be something that's more doable in 5th ed you will see lots of people choosing to use poison. Uh, and there are some really effective poisons here. Um, and again, not just stuff. I, what I really like to see was it's not just stuff that, you know, you put coat a sword with. There's gases. There's things that you can poison food. There's contact poison you could smear on a doorknob, that sort of thing. So it's really cool to see that. Alex Basso, were you as pumped up as Vegas and I about these pages? Uh, I was pumped about diseases. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Why were you uh, I mean, the vari- I love Cackle Fever. Like, the first thing to read on this page, Cackle Fever, it started off strong. That's the highest, the best thing they could start with. Um, and I really like that the, the diseases use the exhaustion rules, which uh, I feel like is something they could have easily made then forgot about. <laughs> so nice to see them use those. Madness, I really wanted to read Cackle Fever made me want to read about madness, and then they cut me off right at the time. So now I got to get the book, right? What a, <laughs> what a sales tactic by uh, Wizards of the Coast. Uh, poisons, though I love the idea of poisons, um, every time I've tried to do, or just as a group in any of my our sessions, we've tried to do any sort of planning that involves, I don't know, trickery or effectively using a poison, we seem to fail miserably. Uh, so realistically though they are cool i know the only ones that would i would ever be able to use were probably the injury poisons uh and another thing that i really liked i like how hard it is to actually harvest a poison and somebody who is stupid attempting to do it will probably end up hurting themselves (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there there is that chance of danger right that you could uh prick your finger on the snake fang or or whatever, um, you know. But yeah, I, I am. I really want to read this madness section. It is since I've seen it in the table of contents. I've, I'm so interested. I can't wait to see it. Um, and cackle fever, of course, a disease which makes you laugh at the worst possible times. Rudy Basso, what did you think of these pages? I think the poisons sound really neat. You know, that's not something I generally consider using. Um, but the variety and all the differences that they can do is really appealing to me. I think it'd be super neat to be constantly coating my weapons with different kinds of poisons. The only thing is they are incredibly expensive. Um, and I guess that's good because there's not a lot to sink your gold into. So this would be a perfect opportunity to use that gold. Um, the other thing is I know how difficult it is, as Alex noted, to, uh, harvest the poison, but I could definitely see like trying to kill a bunch of purple worms so we can get all that money from the poison, like, or trying to go after wyverns so we can get poison and then selling it. That's just another opportunity there that these, these poisons give you. I'd really love to poison someone's drink too. That'd be cool. <laughs> it makes yeah. me think of a song of ice and fire with, with all the different kinds of poisons. And now there are all these different kinds that we can use here too. It's nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the ingested poisons really bring some murder mystery sort of uh, stories to mind, you know, and, and so I would, I'd like to see some variety of uses here uh, with these things, and, and I hopefully we will. Um, yeah, Midnight Tears in particular is, as you, it's perfect for a murder mystery, like someone finds out they've been poisoned by something at a dinner party, and that they're going to die if, if uh, by midnight, 
unless someone finds a way to neutralize it. It's perfect. I, I think it's great. So let's move on, guys, to our next section. We are going to talk about the multiverse, from poisons to the multiverse. Um, Crazy. Uh, here we don't have the whole thing. We have a little section of their probably their whole thing on the planes in the multiverse. Um, a lot of talk about the Outlands and Sigil. A lot of talk about demi-planes, the Far Realm. Sort of looks like we're at the end of the planes chapter. And then a little bit about all of the different material planes, uh, which is all of the published over the years and years of D&D's existence campaign settings. What were you guys pumped to see? What do you think this holds for the future of D&D? Do you think we're going to see more of these settings come out anytime soon? Let's start with you, Alex Basso. Uh, I mean, as someone who is really not knowledgeable at all of any sort of outer planes, uh, I, I really like the the Outlands. That was, I think, well explained here. I, I mean, I've heard Greg go on and on about Sigil and the City of Doors, and it's been very confusing. But the way this painted the picture is <laughs> like, oh, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that they did a good job of dumbing it down uh for people like me dummies like you for dummies like me um so that was that was good to read but uh, i mean otherwise uh i don't know it's not still getting me too excited about other planes i like being on one (laughs) (laughs) a material plane that was nice to to just see them you know summarize all the hopefully worlds will be seeing uh getting more content for Mm -hmm. future Mm -hmm. soon (laughs) yeah i think you will probably see at least some of these worlds getting some future content soon beyond the forgotten realms i think you're right the outlands and sigil were better explained here kind of than i've ever seen them and very succinctly which was nice too Uh, rudy basso what did you think of these pages on the multiverse uh i am a known and noted not lover of jumping between worlds and sigil is incredibly unappealing to me so the main thing that jumped out to me is that they listed all the material planes, including some settings that we haven't seen in a while. There's Greyhawk, there's Mistara, and uh, there's Birthright, which I know very little about. So I'd love to see them uh, not go the Dark Sun Eberron route initially and actually pursue and release information about these older, less known to modern gamer settings. Um, And this is a great first step towards that possibly happening. What is it about planes jumping that you dislike? Uh, It's just the idea of there's so much in your plane that can be done, I'm sure, that jumping to another plane and doing stuff there, I feel like there's going to be overlap. And that makes the campaign a lot less focused, unless you're doing some sort of specific, like, jumping through time, wronging... Or writing wrongs. Plane jumping detectives. Plane jumping detectives, which actually that doesn't cool. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I would like to fix all the problems here on Toril before going to Kryn or something like that. Gotcha. So unless plane jumping is like the focus of the story, you're not that into it. Exactly. And that does actually sound like a really cool story. It so. does. I, yeah, I really want to write that quest now. Uh, so It sounds like a lot of work from the DM, though, <laughs> to like, yeah. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, you have to have knowledge of more than one world in your head, which is, like you said, it can become overwhelming. Vegas Lancaster, what did you think of these pages? 
you know, they're they're fine. They're um uh not giving us a whole bunch of information that I didn't expect. Uh we had known for a while that the uh the shape of, of the planes and the multiverse in the new edition of D&D is the great wheel. Uh, and that's what the new pages from the DMG confirm, uh, which is cool. There's a small write up on the far realm, uh, which I think is a fascinating, um, I guess I shouldn't call it a place cause it, it doesn't appear to be a place so much as an ether of insanity. Uh, so that's pretty sweet pretty sweet yeah far realm that's why i want those madness rules because i love i do love me some far realm um so uh, i I always wanted to do a campaign where people are trapped in the far realm and have to figure out how to get back uh so they don't know how they got there and they gotta figure out a way home um yeah very gross <laughs> all right well let's move on to our next preview guys we have a preview about building dungeons and connecting areas we've heard before that in the dmg there are going to be rules for assembling an entirely randomized dungeon if you want using just die rolls uh this again seems to be we're in the middle of this chapter uh, we don't have the full beginning and we probably don't have the full end here um but it's interesting there's this has some is a little more advicey i would say than the other areas because they talk about hey when your map is done consider connecting different chambers and then when you are assigning chambers and you're if you're rolling randomly if you roll for a closet it shouldn't be like an enormous room and if you roll for a temple it shouldn't be a closet sized room you know using some of your common sense and that kind of thing to guide uh, and then the second page of this preview is pretty much one big table for various uh you know chamber purposes you can stock um and it's awesome. I have to say, I'm really excited. You know, some of them have uh, D100 options. Some of them have D20 options. So there's a lot of different things going on here. As a DM, I was excited to see this, excited about the way the table inspires and everything like that. And even though I've built a lot of dungeons in my time, it does make me actually want to read this chapter that uh, I feel like I am already kind of an expert in. Um, but <laughs> what did you think, Rudy Bass? So pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, I'm not so sure what a death trap dungeon is. It sounds pretty scary. Uh, I like that it's got a waiting room for spectators. That's important. That, uh, you uh, be sure to wait for the death trap. Uh, I really like the maze. I think that's something that's underused in a lot of uh, um, DM or a lot of games, and is very terrifying to get stuck in the maze. And then there's guard beasts that patrol the maze. Uh, that's my favorite. Uh, but this is great for someone who might not have a lot of it. You know, it goes back to a lot of what this edition has been about. It's an introduction for new players. And in this case, new DMs have a perfect way to create a dungeon that they can still build a lot of stuff onto. They can still be really creative with. But there's a lot. There's an outline here for them to work with. And that can be really important for a new DM. Oh, I don't know. I, I made all these rooms, but I don't know what to put in them. Boom. Just roll over to here. You don't even need to roll dice if you don't want to. You can just go down the list and find what you think is cool and put that in a dungeon. Uh, Vegas Lancaster, what did you think of these pages? Well, um, I mean, what we're looking at is is an excerpt from an appendix 
for developing random dungeons. And I don't know, I, I feel like a random dungeon is a little silly to me as a, uh, a story-focused guy. Um, I, I feel like a dungeon uh, should have a pretty clear story-based purpose to it. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, if you want a procedurally generated dungeon, you can go play Diablo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Well, and I think random, you know, is, is probably there to help people out in a pinch and to help out people who are new or who need some inspiration or that sort of thing. I would guess that you start out random and then after a few rolls you begin shaping yourself is probably the way this is going to end up for most people and that sort of seems to be the way their advice is leaning on these pages as well i admit i'm grasping for criticism uh to remind our listeners that we are not in fact a commercial for wizards of the coast <laughs> <laughs> that is true that is true uh, alex basso what do you have to say about these pages I mean, I like it as someone who never plans to DM, but has always secretly wanted to build a terrifying dungeon filled with the toughest monsters. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to now building that dungeon and theming some of the rooms. <laughs> uh, Alex Basso, if you make that, I will definitely play and probably most certainly die in that dungeon. No one will get by the first room filled with six ancient dragons. <laughs> And spectators. And, and, spectators. and spectators. And why not throw the Tarrasque in there? Oh, oh, all right. <laughs> all right, guys, let's move on to our final preview. The Dungeon Master's Guide section on traps. It looks like we have the beginning of this section, but again, we don't have the end. So again, only partial preview that we're seeing here. Vegas, you were saying earlier about criticism. My big criticism here and we don't have the full chapter so it may be coming but i kind of wish we had some more very solid examples of traps up front mechanically you know there's a lot of flavor here there's a lot of explaining what a trap is like the very basic definition of a trap um which i think most are gonna know going into this but i i that's i want to see like the hardcore here's how it works when somebody rigs a door with a crossbow to shoot you in the face when it's open here's how a treasure chest rigged with poison gas works that sort of thing i wish i was seeing more of that although i do think again the basics are there and everything but i think they're a little too explaining as far as what a trap is vegas what did you think of this yeah i would agree with what you're saying and who knows how long the section on traps in the book is going to actually be, um, but it's hard to imagine it being so long that you're getting into the gritty detail that you're talking about, uh, just given what we see uh, right now in the preview available to us. Because uh, this isn't a whole chapter on traps. This is, uh, you can tell from the header, it's part of a chapter on environments. Exactly. So this is a section on traps within a chapter about environments. Alex Bassa, what do you think? I think I never had any intention of reading this much about traps before, <laughs> ever. Uh, it's a lot, and it doesn't really, I don't know, say much. It was really probably the worst section I've read. Uh, from any of the books so far, which is, yeah, now we're definitely not a commercial. <laughs> so it really, I feel like I read a lot in 
I got nothing out of it. You know, like you said, uh, most people know what traps are, and uh, it doesn't really go far beyond explaining the basics of how traps work. Uh, Rudy Basso, what did you think about this section? I don't like traps in general. I think they're annoying. Oh. Um, I mean, I understand their point of being in a dungeon, but yeah, the idea of the deadly traps and the way they scale, that's so terrible in my opinion. <laughs> like, I hate the idea of walking, and of course I know what a trap is from the explanation, walking over a trap and taking, you know, 4d10 damage because I wasn't able to get out of the way. It's it's not quite save or die, but it's still uh, pretty pretty annoying. Um, just anything that takes complete control out of the player's hands is always frustrating to me. And that's what these deadly traps can, can really do. So one more thing I want to talk about, guys, is WizKids has released the Tiamat and Bahamut miniatures that are coming out as part of the miniatures release for D&D. And... <sighs> You know, I, they're really cool-looking miniatures, I think. Uh, let's definitely talk about the photos and everything that are out there we've seen look really cool. But I have to say, they're a little small. They don't quite reach the epic god of dragons proportions that I really want them to reach. Um, they're more the size of a quote-unquote huge size category miniature, uh, as opposed to a gargantuan size category miniature. And I think for the $60 a piece asking price that is really not awesome you know um i mean you are getting some cool work and some cool craftsmanship and things like that but uh you know we've seen in the past you get some really big miniatures for 60 bucks and these just aren't quite as big and i i want them to be if i'm going to use them at the table you know um but that's just how i feel how do you feel rudy basso uh i guess i agree with you i am not a collector nor do i often unfortunately a DM at a table that involves miniatures. I'm not so sure why I would buy Bahamut beyond collector because Bahamut's a good guy. Unless nice. you have an evil like evil party, mm-hmm. I don't see your. Like yeah, to have them fight each other, that'd be cool. If you were fighting Tiamat and Bahamut was on your team, that'd be pretty great. But Whoa. um, they're they're hundred and twenty dollar encounter. <laughs> looks awesome. I think the heads with the color. I think that's just really cool. If I were a collector, I would probably be like, oh, yeah, this is something that I could show off to people because and show them how, how awesome and cool I am. <laughs> well, it's like one of those glass jars <laughs> on my mantle. And presumably yeah. people can use them in the attack wing game that that WizKids has created. That, that may be one reason you would want to get them um, beyond that. But you're right. If you're just a D&D player... That's a lot of money for an encounter, particularly for Bahamut, even for Tiamat. How often are you going to fight Tiamat? Not that often, right? You know? Um, Once every 30 levels. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. This is quite an investment, but I think if you are a collector, this is something you would be very excited about. What did you think, Alex? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with uh, $60 is t- a lot for the one fight. Uh, to really get the money out of it, the dungeon master will then have to make all future dragon fights uh, a five-headed dragon. But uh, really, I mean, yeah, miniatures are cool, but I feel like it's been, you know, since we've been playing online for the past, what, two, three years now? Yeah. Pretty much exclusively. It's been a while since I've really seen it. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if uh, 
my if there's a dragon miniature and it's not the size of a newborn baby, then I'm not interested. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what you want. You want to shock and awe people, especially when you bring out the queen of chromatic dragons. You want to overwhelm people. Ah, man. Uh, I guess I'm heated about this. Vegas Lancaster, are you heated? Bahamut looks cool as hell. <laughs> Tiamat looks dumb as hell. <laughs> Disagree. Man. Disagree. God, come on. It's just, it's it's a red dragon body with just <laughs> green, blue, black, and white heads sticking out of the side. I know that's what Tiamat is, uh, and that sounds way cooler when you describe her than when you see an actual model of a five-headed dragon. It suddenly looks kind of dumb. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> but it's funny. I wish there had been some sort of like, it's just all of a sudden a white neck, right? Sticking out with a white head on it out of this red body. I wish there had been some sort of, more of a blend there, right? Rather than it be, it does look like they just cut the heads off a bunch of dragon miniatures and glued them on. Um uh, which I can see being terrifying and sweet, but I can also see your point. I do wish that with the paint job, there was a little bit more of a blend there to make things feel not like you cut the heads off some other miniatures and glued them on. But I would be terrified if a DM did that. So, all right, guys. Well, I think that is going to do it for this edition of the round table. Where can people find you, Vegas Lancaster? Uh, if you love improv comedy and you're in the Philadelphia area, check out phillyncrowd.com and come see an improv show any Friday night of the year. Uh, and if you want to know when I'm going to be in them, follow me on Twitter at Vegas Lancaster. Excellent. Alex Basso, where can people find you? Oh man, you can find me on my Twitter, uh, at yo underscore Alex Basso. That's A-L-E-X-B-A-S-S-O. And uh, I, I do plan on tweeting at some point. So stay tuned. <laughs> Rudy Basso, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O. And Alex and I released a podcast. We started a podcast on the Tom Show Network. Um, and it's called D&D VNG. You can go back and listen to our first episode, which was released in early November. Uh, Vegas is on it. We talk about... Dungeons and Dragons licensed video games. Our next one coming up is going to be early December. We're playing Temple of Elemental Evil. So you can get that on GOG.com and play it and then listen to our thoughts on it. I have to say, I loved the podcast. I knew it was going to be good because you guys were making it, but I was super impressed when I listened to it. And it is definitely my favorite new podcast, and I can't wait for the next episode. So Nice. Take that, serial podcast. Yeah. Guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you can reach out to any of these gentlemen in the way they have expressed you may reach out to them. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Rudy, Vegas, and Alex. 
Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Round Table. Yeah.